Welcome to the What's Up with Docs podcast, the documentary podcast for all of us. I'm Tony Bell, the creator and host. We do land acknowledgments as a way to honor the ground on which we stand and as a way of giving thanks. Growing up in Georgia, I was surrounded by places with Native American names, but had absolutely no knowledge of the people who were the original stewards of those lands. One of those names was Oconee. My mother's ancestors were enslaved and my grandparents were sharecroppers in what is now called Oconee County, Georgia. Oconee is an anglicized form of the Itsatsi Hitchi Creek word Okovni, which means born from water or living on water. According to Oconee tradition, their original homeland was in the Okefenokee Swamp of southeastern Georgia. In fact, a branch of the Oconee still lived in this vast expanse of water during the 1600s when it was under the domain of Spain. The Oconee Creeks also once occupied towns and several villages in present-day northeastern Georgia, northwestern South Carolina, and in the Great Smoky Mountains. It is believed that by the early 1800s, the remaining Oconee, who had not been forced off their land by Europeans or decimated by disease, fled to Florida and joined the Seminoles. In this episode, I speak with my dear friend and mentor, the director and editor, Lillian Benson. We speak about how she met the late Congressman John Lewis at the Academy Awards, the film she edited about his life, Get in the Way, The Journey of John Lewis, her documentary editing career, and her transition to the narrative world. Lillian's commitment to integrity in her work and the telling of Black stories is rooted in her keen sense of responsibility, a responsibility to truth-telling and of the reclamation of buried and denied histories. Because in all of her work, she strives to help us all remember who we truly are. This episode's song is Issei and Barnwell's Wanting Memories. Here is our conversation, which was recorded on July 18, 2020, the day after Congressman Lewis's passing. Well, I just want to like talk a little bit about um, how we met. Um, we were both working on a documentary. I was working as an archival um, researcher, and um, you were editing the film. And it was my that was the first documentary I worked on, but it was so great um, for me to kind of be in the editing room with you and collaborating with you to, to see how you work, um, especially in regards to the level of um, integrity that you bring to, to a project. And um, I realized, like, after I met you, I realized, uh, and then I looked you up, <laughs> I realized that I was familiar with a lot of your work, even though I wasn't big in a documentary. Um, I didn't have a huge interest in documentary before I moved to um, California. But you know, I seen you know obviously Eyes on the Prize and like the episode that you um, you edited, and then but also the series um, We Shall Remain, which was about the um, the Native American um, experience um, in this country. Um, but and the, um, the hot chocolate nutcracker and a, a few other pieces and the Alvin Ailey piece. Um, so I was already kind of familiar with you and um, knowing you all these years now, um, I just really love and appreciate you um, as, as a friend and um, a mentor. 
And the song that I picked for you, because um, each episode has a song, is um, Sweet Honey and the Rock's um, Wanting Memories. I mean, the song really is about a person kind of going through the grieving process. You know, they've lost someone, but then um, the healing that comes with time as they remember the good stuff. When I think about you in, in documentary, like in you in your work, you are helping to preserve and create memory. And it kind of really speaks to like the historical documentaries that you really work, particularly those um, in regards to the African-American experience um, and how these films teach us, but also help us like recognize, remember us as black people who we are because there's so many lies that are told through the media about who we are you and your work have embodied like the mission of this kind of not even like counteracting that like you just wanted to tell the truth yeah i i, I don't have a question <laughs> at this moment but i just kind of would like to just kind of hear have you speak um uh, to that and um you know your philosophy of in documentary filmmaking and just just what you, you bring to it well i i think that part of the um you know, I, I just got off of Facebook um, because I looked up the John Lewis film to see if it was streaming anywhere for free. And um, it is, it's called uh, Get in the Way, The Journey of John Lewis. And, and you when, edited that film. And I edited that film. And that is the best thing I've done in my entire life. And... Uh, and some, some of it is because it's the most, I felt it was the most important at the time. Now it's about five years old, maybe a little, little bit longer. But one of the things that struck me today uh, with his death, that it was uh, the word journey. Mm. And you could have said the life of John Lewis, the work of John Lewis, civil rights icon, any number of things. But the director, Kathleen Dowdy, chose to call it Journey. And if you look at my um, uh, career, some of which was by choice, um, some, of it, some of which was by chance or grace that I got placed in these positions to um, speak a certain kind of truth, um, it is a journey. And of course, when you're 35, you don't think about that, you know, but if I look, um, if, um, you know, there's a gospel song, uh, when I look back, I wonder how I got over, basically how you got over those um, traumas, those roadblocks, those uh, dark nights of self-doubt, um, or um, actual, um, psychological attack by people that whom you work for, um, either conscious or unconscious, because not all of it is conscious, but a lot of it is. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, people ask me if I could do another documentary, and I say, well, it's going to have to be a very special one, because I did John Lewis, and I did Maya Angelou. So why would I do another one? <laughs> and, because it's just, and see, John Lewis is a verite film. Uh, a lot right. of the elements are verite. So 
Yeah, you know, I was uh, telling um, Rennell that um, you know, Kathleen, the director, like she worked on that for a few decades. A very, very long Very time. long time. And um, so footage, like over like 25 years. I think it was 20. Uh, yeah, um, okay, 20 yeah, years. I couldn't confirm that this morning, but it, it, it started when she met him and she was a, um, uh, like a, a, a line producer for, uh, uh, I think she was working for CNN. Uh, and she couldn't believe that there had not been a documentary about him. So she and uh, her um, producing partner uh, financed the early stuff, and it includes his um, uh, footage with his mother. Yes, yes. Uh, and a footage of that. a family reunion. Mm -hmm. and, and Kathleen had, um, so there was early stuff, there's earlier interviews. So you have his journey visually. Uh, you have the famous footage from uh, the, I think it was the NBC white paper uh, about the sentence where he talks to the camera, you know, he's like 20 something years old and this baby face. And he just says, he feels like, you know, he's guided. And, um, and I've worked on footage uh, with, of his on a couple of shows, right. uh, including God in America and, um, and and that he was not featured in that as much as one would have hoped but um there was a script line in that um um it was not in it was in the proposal not in the film it was god guides the movement and once you once you understand that you know that that's he was part of that he was hearing speaking doing based on what he felt was divine guidance and that ordered his journey and each of us has a um a journey and and it's sometimes uh um rocky and uh imperfect and and sometimes we mess up or sometimes people um as they say in the bible set snares to catch you so it's um it, but you have to keep to yourself as you're going on this road and, um, and I'm not sure, I mean, I, 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 sh I was gonna say, I'm not sure how I got to this mental place, uh, mm. but uh, what I know is at a certain point, well, first of all, Eyes on the Prize changed my life. Working on that series changed my life. Yeah, talk about how you got onto that. I worked with Jackie Shearer and uh, Paul Steckler. And the way Eyes on the Prize 2 was organized was that each team was comprised of two directors. Uh, Henry Hampton, uh, who was the executive in charge, tried to uh, have a white person and a black person. Um, and it was mechanical, but in some ways it worked out. And he wanted a man and a woman. So if it was a white woman, you had to have a black man. If it was a black man, you had to have a white woman. And so my um, lead, I, I consider her the lead director because um, she's the one who found me, was Jackie Shearer. And she's a black woman and she's passed away now. And she was, and I worked with her in another film, which you also might have seen, the Massachusetts 54th Colored Regiment. And that was a virtually all female uh, team, uh, black and white. So it was uh, pretty exciting. And, um, so she asked one of her uh, colleagues, um, Kathy Sandler, uh, independent New York uh, director, 
uh, if she knew any of any African American uh, female editors, because she wanted to tell the story of Boston busing from the mother's perspective. And she said, it's always told other ways, but I want the mothers who sent their kids. And, um, and it turned out, uh, so that was her main episode, but I also did the King episode, and she came up with the structure for the King episode, which ended up being a great part, um, uh, one reason why it was so good. Mm -hmm. um, so Kathy said, well, you know, I know Lillian Benson, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I'm not sure why I was in a bad mood the day she called me. <laughs> But okay. I had, I had, uh, I was lying down uh, in the afternoon, and I had just awakened, and it was one of those things you wake up, and five minutes later the phone rings. Yeah, you weren't quite ready to be into the world in the world yet. Yeah, and uh, but at least I woke up, and um, and I uh, the the beginning of this is I had applied to work on Eyes One and never got an answer. Now, I was in New York and they were producing in, in Boston. So, you know, and I had never done a PBS uh, show. So Jackie calls me, tells me who she is. And, and I'm feeling like, well, y'all never hired me before. So <laughs> you were mad. I was very direct. And don't you know, that's what she needed. And that's what she wanted. So when she asked me a question, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I was very direct. And I then I remember when I got off the phone, I thought, man, you you know, you may have just made made sure you didn't get that job. <laughs> one of the things she told me when she told me the story, um, she said um, uh, that it was one of the stories was Boston busing. And I said, oh, yeah, I was bust. And I think that was a big thing. And I said and I told her why and where and um and I think that made a big difference. My family's from the South. You know, uh, the other show had to do with the South. Um, and so I think that was good enough. And um, so she actually told me she hung up the phone and, and, and knew that weekend she had found her editor. Then the question was, how could she sell me to the executive producer, Henry Hampton, because, oh, she's never done a PBS show before. Oh, how could she do a PBS show if she'd never done a PBS show? So it took a while. And one of the key things was that he called a colleague of mine whom I had um, uh, assisted, uh, John Carter, who had done the original um, of, uh, Dr. King show, the only other one episode that a uh, documentary that had been done about him, which was the one that came out in 69, exactly a year after he was assassinated. So the two of them uh, did that film. So Henry, of course, knew it. So I used him as a reference because he knew my work. And he said he didn't, he didn't get off the phone until he knew that Henry was going to hire me. Because I interviewed with Henry and then Henry said, well, you know, he, he said something that where I said, okay, I don't have it yet and I may never get it. So then I pulled out the big, the big reference because John Carter was the first um, supervising editor at any of the networks in New York. He was a, su a supervising editor at the documentary unit at CBS and he was a feature editor. Um, he's the first African-American man to get into American cinema editors. Um, and as he said, yeah, yeah, Lillian, it's been a lot of firsts. 
So people paid attention to what he said. And he was a Hollywood guy. With his blessing, uh, Henry said, well, okay. And then, of course, um, I had to prove myself. But Jackie was a terrific director. um, And um, Paul Steckler was a a Harvard PhD. So he knew all of the history and stuff. So they were a a different team. You know, in a way, it was good. Um, because one had one thing and one had, of course, Jackie had the ethnic passion. And um, what I realized, um, and I wasn't so much conscious at that point, um, was that um, I had a a big responsibility because this history was in my hands. And I guess that somehow, because it was the first time, maybe, I'm not sure why I got got it so quickly or maybe it was the uh, Paul and Jackie's um, uh, influence or description but I knew that it was the history was in my hands and of course I'd seen eyes one and um, and who who knows you know but it was it was um, a transformative experience on a creatively um, uh, emotionally also interpersonally because it was a big shock it was like 40 people. I'm used to working with the three, four, five people. The biggest shop I had worked at was, and that was all editorial, was Big Blue Marble. And they were, we had like four editors and five assistants and one sound person. But on eyes, there was the editorial department, the book department, uh, the research, and uh, of course, the producers and directors. And, um, you know, there was somebody, an archivist full-time, Janet Lawrence, uh, and um, uh, and a music supervisor toward the end. And each episode could have a different one, but like there was one, and it was all uh, archival music, no score, which was also wonderful um, because each show uh, was of the time. And there was a rule there was a stock footage rule that you couldn't use anything that was not of, of the place of the time. That's something that you, um, you taught me because I remember when we were first working together, you wanted me to find some pictures of, of president Johnson kind of, kind of looking overwhelmed uh-huh. uh, or, or distraught. And I think I showed you something around like Vietnam or, or something like around that time. And you were like, that is not the right date, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, and I, I can't remember like what you wanted me to look for uh, specifically. I, I can't remember the point in the film, but I was like, oh, okay. Like we, we can't mix and match these things. Nope. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You, you can't, you can't, basically if you can't lie, you can't lie. And so uh, in the Boston busing show, the best footage, was on the second day because they knew it had broken out on the first day. Nobody was following it. Second day, national cameras were there and we had to use first day on first day and second day on second day. And if we had something that was um, around a certain time, um, the first week or the second week or the third, we could do that if it had happened before, but we could not. And that was a rule for the entire series. And the same thing with music. If you had a song, it had to be out in this part of the country 
that um, you were saying it was out because some songs came out. That was a time when they came out at different times in different cities. And, um, you know, so, uh, so that, but that was a, a certain discipline. And you couldn't use uh, rock throwing from, uh, from one scene to another, from one uh, protest to another. So if it was a Chicago protest and there was somebody throwing a rock at somebody, you couldn't put it in, um, uh, you know, Mississippi or Brooklyn or anything. You had to, even if it was an abstraction. But that was also something that was true in King Montgomery to Memphis. Yes, yes. And, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and I was told that by John Carter and, um, and, and you know, that that was, that was a rule. Right. So the, when you have those restraints, you look. And as, of course, on um, the Bradley film, there was something that was misidentified that I knew was not King at that year. I just knew looking at him. Because you knew it, because you know that footage. Because I knew, I knew what King looked like. I said, it's later. Mm -hmm. Because he looked older and more tired and weary. And of course, um, the uh, scholar said the same thing. But the scholar also knew um, uh, Christopher West. He knew what the church was. We were trying to figure out if it was in a certain church in Los Angeles. He said, no, that's not the church. Because he knew the church. You know, so and we had one guy on eyes, the writer, uh, <laughs> Steve Fair. His other duty was identifying cars, and he'd say, oh, "That's the wrong year. Nope, that's the wrong year." And he knew cars, and so if we had some random footage that was like traffic in some city when we were saying something, you know, like and it, the the the, uh, the court decision came down and blah blah blah. Uh, we uh, he'd say nope that's the wrong car and some I didn't know it one thing from another right. <laughs> and there was something else in a much later film and which is this is part of the uh, you know the baggage you carry or the tools you carry one or the other along the way I worked with this is on a film about the uh, Japanese internment camps called conscience and the Constitution and the producer, Shannon G, and I liked this music. And the director, um, um, he's a Japanese-American, Frank Abe. So it's his story. It's not my story. It's not my Black story. It's not her Chinese story. But he hated this music. And we loved it, which was a traditional music for the Obun Festival. Mm -hmm. And so all the kids, you know, dance and do stuff. And it's a religious ceremony. And we had footage from somebody in the camps that they had taken home, uh, eight millimeter footage of it mm. uh, from a top of a hill. And I thought, man, we got to use this. Mm -hmm. Well, Shannon figured out that the Obon Festival happened. And I guess this would have been uh, 1942 or 1943, whatever year the footage was from. Right. The FBI um, arrested two of the people at the camp during that during that week of Oban. And we said, that's how we'll use it. We'll use it as the introduction to the arrest. And so of course you start with the beauty and 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 the profound desire for people to make things normal. And then and the guy says, oh, and then I heard three knocks. And then you're into the arrest. But that's, and then the director said, okay, okay. If it happened that week, okay. And it's lovely, it's lovely. But based on those principles, 
you can um, uh, you can find a way to use something, and it's dishonorable. You know, it would have been wrong for us to use it. Um, uh, to me, it would have been wrong to use it just for the visual. You got it's got to mean something. So that's a long way of saying um, that's how that's the process, and it's very different from show to show. But these are traditional, long form historical. This may be the only film that's ever made on this subject. Uh, kinds of films, and I think we have to we have to think that way. I I really um, love and appreciate that. Um, well, you know, you're talking talking about um, Kathleen and like her motivation for making the John Lewis film, but also I think about the the Asian American series that just came out in May, and how um, like it's just like it's just amazing to me, but and not. <laughs> that that had not been done before right 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 and i feel like it's a kind of a continuation of of these various like um groups um you know bipop people of color who have not um been whose histories have not been seen or whose histories have been erased yeah or or, or told incorrectly which is another um travesty but um I, I don't, you know, know what the solution is, but when you get in that seat mm -hmm. and you're on one of those projects, you know, you, you know, you gotta, you, you answer. I mean, I told the producer and I'm lucky she didn't fire me um, <laughs> a different, uh, or be mad at me. And I, we were talking about something and, and I, I don't remember what preceded it. And I, mm -hmm. I said, you know, I answer to the ancestors. Mm, okay. And it was a history piece. And 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 we were we we're good now. We were good then. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how that popped out of my mouth. Mm. And and I said, yeah, I work for you. But I answer to the ancestors. And I wasn't and I said, so my um my desire is to do what this dead person who's the film was about. Mm -hmm. I have to honor that person and their life and what I know about it. And, and, but I'm, you know, I, I work for you. I answer to them. And that's true on other shows. I work for people and I, you know, and I give my heart, but I got to answer to the ancestors. I, I mean, that's just how I feel. And that's of course now different when I'm working in fiction because it is um, created and um, very, very, um, uh, people have put a lot of work into it. And it's uh, a different form. Right. The different form. So I'm from Georgia, born and raised. So um, John Lewis has kind of like always been in the, the ether of my life. Um, so last night when I, um, saw the news you know it's like showing up in the facebook feed and interestingly enough i actually had a conversation with um i don't know if you know donna brown guillaume oh yeah donna was uh one of the executives uh charles floyd uh johnson and donna brown guillaume were executive producers on kathleen's film well um i'm working with both donna and, and david massey on a new project and um uh -huh. i asked about um well are you planning to um, interview John Lewis. And um, Donna mentioned that, I didn't realize this, but he had pancreatic cancer. 
And I think she said the last time she saw him was like towards the end of last year and he had lost a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and that he really wasn't doing well. And then, you know, he passed away uh, on a Friday. You know, we were having that conversation on Thursday. So now that he is an ancestor, how do you view your work on um, Get In The Way? And you, you actually met him at the Academy Awards. Because I remember you were showing me your Academy Awards pictures. I'm like, is that John Lewis? <laughs> Well, I want to geek out now. Uh, this was the, the last time I saw him. Um, so it was my first time, my first Academy um, Awards. I had just gotten in, in the Academy. So I'm one of the handful of African-American editors uh, who have been members of the picture editing uh, group. Of course, John Carter was one of them as well. So I get lucky. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, the only person I had really talked with about um, getting into the academy was uh, another mentor, uh, Joe Staten, African-American editor who helped me get into the union, which was no small feat, and then helped me uh, produce the um, film on the Black firefighters who died at the World Trade Center and also on um, the uh, Jester Hairston film. Um, and, and we would say, uh, who's going to get in first? And now he was about 15 years older. And, you know, if you get in, you're going to ask me. And I said, if I, you know, <laughs> if I get in. And, and it wasn't, um, we, we were joking, but it was in my heart. Yes. Yeah. And um, so he had passed away. So I took his son. Uh, and so that was a wonderful thing. And he's also in the film business. So we were there and we had, and he had encouraged me to come downstairs because I was feeling a little, uh, I don't know, shy. Um, and the big ballroom, when you're at the top of the stairs, you see downstairs the entrance and everybody's coming in. And he said, well, yeah, come on down. Why don't we go down? And I said, I don't really want to. And, he, and then he said, well, you'll see some more people. And I said, oh, taking me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And so I walk down the stairs and I do run into people I know and he runs into people he knows. Mm -hmm. And I had just, we had just gotten finished talking with uh, Barry Jenkins. And, mm -hmm. and I turned to Mark and said, I don't think anything could get better than this. I said, maybe if I run into Regina King, I said, but I'm sure the actors are coming in a different way. And rotate around 90 degrees, and I see John Lewis cross the room. Oh my and goodness. I said, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, literally. And I go, Mark, oh my God. And Mark said, Is that John? I said, Oh my God. <laughs> Lillian had a fangirl moment. I go across the room, and I made sure I spoke to his uh, associate who's, is, who's with him all the time. And I said, I'm the editor of <laughs> Kathleen's film. <laughs> and he said, oh, yes, I, I know Mr. Lewis didn't remember me. <laughs> so uh, I go over and get, take this great picture. And uh, Mark takes it for me. And then, and then um, his associate takes a picture of me, uh, of the three of us. But, and I said, oh, Mark, th so thank you so much for taking me out of my comfort zone. Yes. Because yeah. I wouldn't have been downstairs. I wouldn't have seen him. And of course, I was, you know, I was happy to see Barry Jenkins. Uh, and I had met him before, so I reminded him who I was, you know. 
And, uh, but no, it was extraordinary. And we also, um, I first met him when we went to uh, uh, Washington University and Donna was there as well uh, and, uh, and Kathleen. And Kathleen said um, she had, uh, that uh, it was being screened at this progressive film festival. And uh, John Lewis apparently, this is what she thinks, John Le Lewis had heard how good it was because he had no input. Oh, really? Okay. So, so she was, I mean, obviously he knew he, she had been shooting him all these yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Letting her shoot him. Yeah, and yeah. He kept asking, mm -hmm. when's this film going to be done? Right. <laughs> it's like 20 years. <laughs> and, um, but it, we had a very successful screening that was organized by Charles Floyd Johnson and Donna at the DGA through the African American Steering Committee. I missed it because I was teaching that night, but so she knew he was going to be there, and so I flew in, and uh, and and boy, and it, they went in earlier, and so and he came to have a little you know meet and greet and eat some food with us, and you know, five minutes being the gracious gentleman. But when he walked onto the stage, I was behind him, and it's one of these old-fashioned stages in a, you know a college. And I had seen it many times in stock footage. You know, Dr. King enters, so-and-so enters, it's from the wings. And I waited in the wings. I let him walk out first. And the crowd went bonkers. Rockstar. <laughs> Rockstar. It was so wonderful. And then I walked out behind him because that was the only way I could get to my seat. But I thought, no, he needs every bit of it. And this was just, just after Ferguson. So the crowd, and it was, the crowd was um, pumped. And it was also one of those uh, few times you see a multi-generational and a multi-ethnic uh, audience. And it was wonderful. And he liked it. And of course, I'm crying, you know. And I've seen it many times. I still cry, you know. But, uh, but that was a, a once in a lifetime. Um, experience and uh, both working on the film and also uh, uh, meeting him and um, uh, contributing to his legacy because you know there's, there's another film coming out now is out and, but ours was the first yeah yours is the first and I, I want to give props to the first and especially since Kathleen spent so much time on it and, and really yeah and I, I really think um, it kind of shows a level of uh, level of intimacy um in 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 it's like but but it's but also what it shows is like who he is well, oh i don't like music he was who he was you know yeah yeah, yeah. like whether it's his family or interacting with his constituents yeah, yeah. like he was the same person and something you know you realize he is a politician um but he he gets i've seen him uh even there that night everybody wanted a picture with him he puts he, he's with you he's in that moment he's your congressperson even though you know i you know all i've ever done for him was write a check in the past when he was having a tough competition i said i can write 50 dollars and send it you know for all he did for us so um but no the, he, he's a very very genuine person and um he also he's camera savvy because at the beginning you know he's he's a lot of cameras have been on him for a long time 
and he got around in the first shot, uh, one of the first shots, it might actually be the first shot, uh, where there's a, a, he's at that fountain at the Civil Rights Memorial, mm -hmm. and he, he's reading names, and, and when he gets to the right spot for the camera, he reads a couple of important names that people would know. And I thought, that is no accident. He knows what he's doing. He's, he was giving her the shot, because that would be the shot we would use anyway, even if it said someone unknown. But he knew what to do. Or in that moment, he said, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's, a, it's beautiful. So you see his hand, and you see the water, and then you see, because that's the river of life and all that stuff. And it's poetic. But he was, he was fierce. He was fierce. Well, I, I don't know if you've seen the um, new um, uh, documentary, And She Could Be Next, on PBS. Um, but um, it's uh, directed and produced by Grace Lee and um, Marjan Safinia, and um, produced by Jyoti Sarda. But it's about uh, women of color um, going through the, the election process. But, not, but it features candidates, candidates as well as voters and on, on the ground or dies like a feature in, in all various communities and there's this one incredible 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 scene Stacey Abrams is on stage um you know she was running re for governor of Georgia and um her daddy <laughs> gets up and he says these amazing things about her like how proud he is of her and then John Lewis in the audience stands up just praises her for the work that she's done and like it's this moment where like this elder um mm -hmm. is seeing this younger person yeah uh, yeah particularly in, in georgia like running for governor of georgia and like had, had a, it probably won but they were cheating of all but whatever yeah like she as we are are part of his legacy like the work that he did and just that moment between those two every every everybody needs to watch it particularly every woman of color because every moment will make you stand up and cheer and, and cheer for the work that all these um sisters um of various um persuasions are doing and yeah the realities that they're dealing with are are, are hard to see the, the odds that are against them are hard to see they they are doing it and but also there's there's this level of hope and i think it kind of speaks to the title and she can be next that mean for me yeah i remember like being in a meeting with grace and marjan um early on and they were actually thinking about changing that title and i'm like no <laughs> don't change that title because and she could be next like i feel like that that encompasses everybody so when i see that i can be next and next may be may not mean I'm going to run for office, but you know maybe I can organize, or maybe I can get somebody I know to vote who hasn't voted before. Yeah. So it's, and thankfully they did not change it. I don't know if it was a cause of me, but <laughs> but yeah. So it definitely is. Um, it's it's an empowering watch. You have transitioned from the documentary world now you in you know, to the narrative world and you're currently do you edit for chicago med i'd always you know the the career took its own course i'd always wanted to be uh do fiction uh from the very beginning but the people i met were in documentaries and because i have somewhat of a bookish attitude and love words and love thinking i kind of was a good fit and um 
and the person who actually got me my first semi-low-pay job was a documentarian. So I've I did documentaries and uh, kids TV and sports in the very beginning. Then I did Eyes on the Prize, and then I was 24/7 PBS, basically PBS documentaries with some cable things, uh, a couple of HBOs and things for uh, other channels. But I always wanted to do fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to tell people uh, about your transition because when you transitioned out, honey, you went out big. So that particular year, I believe it was 2017. I think. Uh, yes, it was. Yes. Lillian was winning all of the Lifetime Achievement Awards. I know I went to a few ceremonies and I, I was telling Renelle last night, you had actually invited me to one and I didn't, I didn't show because I was thinking there was another one because there were so many. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I got it mixed up. And I, and I, and you, when you asked me, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, it's hard to keep track. All your Lifetime Achievement Awards, you know, and, and you got invited to the Academy and that's just, right. just all, all and, and Maya, Maya Angelou doc that you um, edited, like, was it Sundance? And, and then it got its Peabody, the, you know, oh, oh yeah, no, it was. It was uh, one of those um, uh, red letter years. Yes, it was. Uh, and, um, and it started, this is how I think it started. I will never know. A colleague of mine, younger woman, uh, not a woman of color, uh, put me up for the Fellowship and Service Award for the union. And that's a, uh, although it happened second, it was really decided first. Um, and they um, honor every year or two, somebody in the union that represents the values of um, uh, helping others um, and also standing up for upholding the values of the union. And I, so I call it a character award. It's not necessarily about the big credits, although a couple people with some huge credits have gotten it. Um, and so this young woman, uh, Sharon Smith Holly, put me up before the committee, and the committee said yes. And so they picked a date in April, and it's like, okay, that's great. And but before that, I was at um, a John Lewis screening, and um, the fellow from Beher Black Hollywood Education resource center uh john forbes came up he looks like somebody i knew and i asked him was and then then he said no he was john forbes i said i'm sorry i said i you know uh i i uh i made a mistake and and he said well who are you and i said well i'm the editor of uh the john lewis film and kathleen was with me and all that stuff and and he said oh oh, we've given you an award haven't we i said Oh no! I, and he said, "Not yet." <laughs> and I said, "I think I would know." <laughs> and so he went and looked me up, and of course they hadn't. And then they checked around, and people said, "Yeah, give her an award." So that that was the one I actually got first, and that's the one uh, the award ceremony you attended. Yeah, I attended. Yeah, and the beautiful thing about that, you were serenaded. Yes, I was, <laughs> and that's another good photo. Yes, yes. What, what was it? Was the song "You Must Be a Special Lady"? Was that it? I can't remember what it was. I think so. I think that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was. It was lovely, and that's uh, with Sandra Evers Manley. 
and um, I'm actually working with her now, but not cutting, but supervising somebody who's cutting something for her. Um, so, you know, but it was wonderful. And then, then the Fellowship and Service Award, which, which is huge. And, um, and then um, I guess it was uh, <laughs> my college. <laughs> yes, your college, because you I, went back to New York, you flew to New York. I went back east. I was a, I'm a distinguished alumni. And, and then the next year was the academy. What college was it? Pratt Institute. The, the thing about the, um, you know, in terms of context for um, things that are in our consciousness that we don't want to believe maybe. Um, when I was in Boston, I talked to the director, uh, Jackie, about this. And she's from, she was from Boston and lived in Brooklyn, but came back to Boston to do the series. And um, I told her about people kind of running me off the sidewalk on this narrow street in, um, uh, in Cambridge. And they were, you know, college kids. And, and she said, I, I just don't, I said, I don't know what it is. She said, Lillian. And I said, you think so? She said, yeah, it's because you're black. So that was in 1989. And so from then on, I started really holding my ground on the sidewalk. And I um, had held my ground in subways when I lived in New York. Um, I wouldn't move. Um, I would kind of brace myself. And it only happened a couple of times. And, uh, but it started happening on the Universal lot at work. Oh, okay, y'all. Uh-huh. And, uh, I had switched the way that I come in, you know, and when you walk in, you got to have your badge to get into the building and all that stuff, um, get into the parking structure. And I don't think, I, I can't say that it's conscious, and, uh, but I can't say it's unconscious either. Um, uh, I started to track who was doing it. And I used to make noise. I used to like stomp my foot. And, you know, like if they were daydreaming, they're walking with their coffee, two abreast, sometimes three abreast. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm going in the opposite direction to my building, to my job, badge on my neck. Mm -hmm. And and I used to stop. So I tried different things. I made noise. I tried stopping. And then, of course, they all moved. Um, and, and then I decided I would just slow down and, and keep walking and brace myself. Now, why should I have to do that? <laughs> and it was always women. It was always women. And it was never a person of color. Yeah. Never a person of color, always women. And that's all I'm going to say. And I had spoken with a colleague about mm -hmm. it, a, uh, a white editor. Mm -hmm. And so when I came, uh, uh, like the day before, and he, he was shocked. So mm -hmm. the next day it happened. So I walked up to his cutting room and I said, it happened again. He said, what? I said, that sidewalk thing. But of course what it does, it, 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 it sets you uh, uh, on edge. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could walk a different way and avoid that. But I thought, no. No. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. So I just, uh, 
And as my assistant said, they should move for you because you're an elder. Right. You know, I'm clearly not 25. Come on now. That, that's how it's supposed to go. And, and they shouldn't do that. Right. And I've seen people get into the, on the side, you know, into the um, uh, driveway. I don't do that. I never did that because my people used to have to get in the dirt in the road. Yes, we had to step aside. To let the white people pass. So, uh-uh, I don't do that. Yeah, I'm just only one generation out of um, segregation. Well, well, legal segregation. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I grew up with them stories. I know you had to move. That's a different experience as then. Um, and like, whereas my assistant um, said a guard stopped him mm. because he didn't have his badge on on his neck. It's in his pocket. You're supposed to always have it on you. Anywhere on that lot, they can stop you. But what he said was, I wonder how many white men he stopped that day. And he, you know, he's just a regular looking guy, but no. Yeah, we don't, we don't get to do some of the same thing. Yeah, no, we don't get to. I, I usually, when I, grocery, when I go to the grocery store, and then they just think about pre-COVID, like I bring my own bags with me. And like, I'm very strategic. I put my, like my bags like in the basket. So it's like clear that the bags in the basket, I'm not touching anything. And pre-COVID, you know, I would actually then hand the bags to the bagger to, to bag them. But now they want you to bag your own stuff, you know. But but I would be like in a, a whole paycheck. Um, that's what I call Whole Foods. I'm a whole paycheck and see a white person actually putting stuff into their bag, you know. And the yo know, and not not engaging in stealing, but you know, but you know, that's how they're rather than having a basket, they're gonna put it in their bag. I know that I cannot do that. Yeah, and I know, and, and I would say in the past year or two, I've seen they start put up signs like, please don't put stuff in your own bags, you know, before it's checked out. But like, we live in the same world, but different rules. Yeah, different rules. Yeah. And I'm sure um, if I told any um, other white person on my hallway that I had experienced this, they'd think I was crazy. Yeah, they always surprise. I mean, why are you surprised? Yeah, no, and, and I guess that was what um, the, the, and my coping mechanism <laughs> is looking for patterns to see if it is specific or a certain day or, you know, certain time, because I come in within a 15, 20 minute range. Uh, it never, there's no pattern, except never a, a person of color. And, and I think I've only had one man do it. Well, I, re I remember a few years ago, I don't know what it was, it was a book or maybe a documentary I was watching or maybe like a YouTube video, I don't know. The talk included like information about um, polls that were taken during the, the civil rights movement in the 60s. Uh -huh. And particularly um, polls that were taken um, white people. And the white, white folks as a majority did not thought like race relations in the United States were perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Like in the 60s. And you like, okay, now we have like his, you know, we have history and everything. But I'm like, how could you think think that? Yeah. But you know, is that forever that space of being forever surprised? And then I know James Baldwin um, speaks to this and like it's a lot of this is um in the, the film about him, I'm not your Negro. This is something that's referenced like this um this uh, willful 
ignorance that essentially we have to unfortunately navigate well yeah that's 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 it and we have to help um our, our children if we have any or our friends um or you know i have assistants who tell me things sometimes like um i had an editor tell me just something recently um you know just advice about um uh behavior yeah a survival mechanism. for survival yeah like if you were if you were going out in the wilderness there were guys or into to to war yeah or to war into war yeah i mean you had to go in with this um protection yeah yeah and and, 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 and really and, and it's like hyper vigilance like you're going in you're going yeah, into the space yeah. of trauma and you had to engage in this hyper vigilant activity um mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. order to survive and or just not get traumatized right. even more yeah well one of my friends had said and, and it's funny how your friends know you differently obviously because they're outside of you <laughs> um, but uh zayna davis who's a director i asked her to write a a recommendation for me for something and i don't know what it, i don't remember what it is but the most important thing she said that i didn't know about myself that is true that obviously the people of the fellowship and service award knew she said every time she would see me at a festival or something i'd always have some young person with me always lillian you do <laughs> yes and and i didn't think about that and that's what i realized and then it became conscious and sometimes it's throwing pearls before swine but sometimes it's just i want them to be in the rooms yeah i want them to see what the ace holiday party looks like what the eddies look like what the um uh, tv academy um screenings look like what the tv academy mixers look like what uh, once when i was working in i you know i do some strange things but uh, <laughs> I was working in Boston and I think I was on eyes. I might've been on the uh, Great Depression, but I was mixing something and uh, no, it was eyes on the prize. And I flew down for a mix in New York um, and it was with Lee Dichter, another fellowship and service award winner, um, honoree, I guess is the best word. And he is a very, very famous mixer in New York. And I rarely mixed with him, but because a film I had cut, um, the, the director um, used to work at the company that Lee's family uh, had, Photoman. And so I told my assistant Maya and uh, Nolan Walker, who's now at ITVS, I said, this guy is considered the best mixer in the city. And I'm gonna go mix with him and I can bring you and I kind of finagled it so I got paid a little bit for them to get come down, but mostly I paid for it myself because I thought, uh, now Maya's a producer and we've not stayed really in, in touch, but Nolan and I, and Nolan has been a friend and uh, um, a very, very different kind of sounding board because he's a different person with a different background, even though he's African-American and also from the South. But, um, uh, but so I brought them, and that was 1989. Okay, so you you all you've been always bringing people, and and so you know, if I get a free ticket, uh, like last year I had a ticket to some tech tech fest, I wasn't gonna go, 
Um, but I gave it to a, a friend and she said it was one of the best experiences she had. And like Edit Fest, which is an editing uh, festival, they're gonna do it online now, where uh, editors all day talk about what they do. I get a free ticket, I get two free tickets. I always bring, but I, I only bring one, I bring a different person each time. Yeah, yeah. Nobody gets to come again. Nobody gets to go twice. No, <laughs> spread it around. Right. Um, <laughs> but if you go into those places, and sometimes they're overwhelmed, like one assistant last year, he said he was overwhelmed by it. And I said, yeah, I was overwhelmed too. I always take a break. Um, I don't go to one of the panels and I just take a break and sit in the sun, drink some water. Uh, but he's, and, and, and they are the rainbow, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I try yes. especially to bring women. Um, yes. But, you know. How but even, I remember one time, um, it was like you, me, and Michelle, we were meeting at the arc light to see something. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and, but you brought, I think you brought one or at least two people. <laughs> that I can't, and yeah, after the film. Oh, it was that, I Am Not was, Your Negro. Yeah, it was I Am Not Your Negro, yes. That's exactly the first was. time I saw it. Yeah, that was the first time Victoria. I saw it too. Right, uh, a young woman, Victoria came, and I—I I uh -huh. don't know who else came. She, and yeah, she's, she's going to be an editor, Victoria. Okay, great, she's great. Be an editor. We okay. working on it. Yeah, um, but, but like we great. we watched the movie and then we went across the street yeah, to yeah. eat and we discussed it. Yeah, and yeah, it was no, great. It was wonderful. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I just felt that was one I didn't want to see by myself. Yes, and the next uh -huh. time I went to see it, I I brought some other people. And the, because I knew it was okay for them, you know, I didn't write a bad mother, you know. <laughs> uh, but that's the ace. They, she was part of the ace diversity and and mm -hmm. editing mentoring group that we work with. Right. And you know, um, but how do you how do you know how do you how do you know? Um, and but you know, are you are such. I mean, that's one of the things I just so appreciate you about you because you are. You are such a mentor and you are so about um, paying it forward and um, and bringing up the, you know, the next generation after you. And like, it's not even, I mean, you, you talk, you know, Zainab brought it up to you. You hadn't even thought about it. You know, it's just, it's just part of your DNA. And I know, and it's one of the things I noticed when I started, we started spending time together and hanging out, you know, but also like going to events with you. Um, you know, you'll, we'll be in a room, I think, yeah, we went to see like a few new Star Wars and stuff like at the Disney lot. You invited me to, and you'll be like, okay, that person was my assistant. That person was my assistant. That person was my assistant. And then people always come up to you and they're always happy to see you. Well, I try to do, I try to try to represent, you know. Yeah. I mean, you have your boundaries but, and you are incredible, incredibly generous. My, my assistant, Alex has said, and he just got the bump up from um a picture assistant to editor on one of the chicago's and he comes out of reality tv comes out of advertising went into reality tv decided he wanted to get into fiction took the step back and the huge pay cut uh to assist but one night he walked by my room at med and he said you're still here and i said uh-huh and he said you do too much i said you're right I said, but there's so much work to be done. And I said, but I promise I won't stay long. Yeah, it, it's, it's time to go home. Yeah, it's time. And it's good to have people check you too. Yes, 
Yes, because you look out for people and then you have people who look out who for look you. Who look out for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to ask too about, you know, the transition from, from documentary to narrative because um, so many times, you know, in the documentary world for editors, it's just like you with the footage. Oh um, yeah, none of yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, none of that. <laughs> so talk about, it's not just you in the room. So talk about how that transition ha has been. Well, um, people ask, what's the hardest thing? People have asked. And the, I think the hardest thing is you don't have a long relationship with a director. And when you have a good director in, or a, a, a compatible one, or one that you align with on multiple levels, because you can always do, you know, you're professional, you can do a good job for anybody, but some of them, um, and that's something that Zainabu asked me. She said, what do you think are your best films? And, and I tell her, and she said, well, why those? And I said, and I thought about it. And I said, because it's both the material and the relationship with the director, because you can do a really good film. And I've done a really good film. <laughs> and I did not get along with the director at all. And the director did not uh, respect me, but I just channeled that material. And fortunately it wasn't a historical one or one with race in it, because I wouldn't have been able to stay. But we were just not compatible. And that sounds like a crazy word, but but sometimes no, that makes sense. Yeah, and um, uh, and it was a woman, and you think, oh yeah, you're gonna get along with a woman, uh uh, uh, -uh. um, but she didn't get me, and she didn't respect uh, the me that's inside, um, which is a problem. But um, so when you have a good relationship with a director, it's interesting. Uh, the material's interesting. You have good conversations. You learn something about them, you learn something about yourself. Um, you know that they ultimately are the boss. Um, you know, as, as one of my favorite directors says, there's a point, Lillian, at which democracy ends. And I said, <laughs> yes, I'm very clear about that. But we had a great time and he won an Emmy. So, you know, how bad could it be? But with um, episodic, um, and, I, and I've been on three episodic series now, Soul Food, um, uh, Greenleaf, and, um, <laughs> and um, now Chicago Men. And of course, I did several um, independent features sprinkled in there, and several films with Debbie Allen, who is a dream boat to work with, just absolute dream boat, any time, any place. Okay, you, um, you will be there, she calls. I will be there. Even if right. she did a documentary, I might just go back. But she could she, absolute pleasure to work with and smart. And she works very hard. So she's not working you into the ground because uh, she's, uh, she's not doing her work. She does her work, you do your work. And, and she gives good, you know, very firm um, uh, details of what to change. So it's, all, it's very clear. So, um, but she's very appreciative in a way in which a lot of them are not. Uh, so with uh, episodic, the uh, and 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 Med is the longest one I've been on. So you have the showrunner who are the head writers, and um, and and our cutting rooms are organized a little bit differently. The executive in charge of post has a lot of power, um, Arthur Forney. And he's responsible for the look of the series, each, each different series. So we men has to look a little bit different than the others. 
And that's not so much of a cinematography issue, although some of it is, but it's also in the cutting styles. And he's a former editor. So anything he tells you to do, you know, he knows how to do. And sometimes he's a little impatient if you don't like just read his mind. But uh, <laughs> he gives you very good notes. Mm-hmm. And as a result, we we're not we have to please the director contractually. The editor has to give the director uh, what he or she wants. So that they have the the they find they have the final approval. Oh, uh, they have the approval of their version. Of their version of it, yeah. So there's okay. editor's cut. Um, this is a critical thing I left out. So you have editor's cut, director's cut, producer's cut, studio network cut. So each one of those cuts is the uh, a version that's quite different. Um, you're not supposed to take out, editors are not supposed to take out lines or scenes. Directors can take out contractually by the DGA uh, lines or scenes. If I take out a line in those instances, I have to keep notes. Uh, and um, then the producer's cut is several days of my direct producer, uh, Lee Hansen, uh, working with me before Arthur Fournay sees it. And then, um, and sometimes that's for time. Sometimes she'll see something that a director wants that she knows is not gonna fly. And so she just tells you to change it and you change it. Um, and, um, uh, and then, he, I, there's usually about three or four versions of the producer's cut. Um, and, and there's a, a certain number of days um, that they give you a period for it. And, uh, and then they have uh, the studio network cut. It goes to the studio and you get notes from the studio and the network. And, um, and at that point, it's very close to time. And so the show is 44 minutes i should know the exact number but I yeah because um, they got you got to edit for commercials exactly yeah act mm-hmm. breaks and um and the shows usually come in the uh, the least i've ever had was like a minute over um the most i've had i think it's been 12 minutes over so they shoot too much they write too much and then you gotta cut it out yeah yeah so and how do you cut it down and still make it work? Now, with um, um, with Wolf Films, they have enough of a budget, so if they take a dra- something drastic and they need to shoot a cutaway or- an, uh, They could go do that. They could go do that. Right, right. Whereas a lot of shows, they don't have that flexibility. But it really is about the writing and getting the words to feel natural and the performances. Um, and sometimes you have to say, you know, um, they want to be on a certain person when a line is said, or they uh, play the conversation. You and I are having this conversation, and it, it could be seen from the child that's in the room, and so the child, so it would be more on that child's face and less on you and me, uh, or more on you with me listening. You know, there's all those, it's a balance. Um, and you, you have to think about who, whose scene it is. And sometimes it's hard to know. Sometimes you might want somebody, and this is something that I do a little bit 
uh, and I, I think it is kind of personal. I want everybody to have, to be heard and be seen. To have, and, have their moment. And so sometimes I include a character who's a supporting character a little bit too much in the scene. Mm, okay. All right. So mm -hmm. the question is, if it's three doctors and a patient, three doctors are outside, and this is an example of how something was recut. They're outside the room, the one doctor's come out and they talk about it. Um, they, you know, if you're shortening it, which is what we had to do, people are turning their heads, they're doing all sorts of things. And how do you make the lines work and the feeling in the lines work and then be on the right face? So that's a, a very simplistic way of, of mm -hmm. describing it. And Oh, that doesn't sound simple at all. But it's a dance. It's a dance in some way. And it's, it's about something that doesn't necessarily evolve. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a documentary evolves. You might, somebody might become more of a character, just the way Jackie said she wanted um, it to, to be about the mothers. So, um, so in the stock footage that you look for, you look for mothers. Right. And you can, you could, you, you have more power really to shape, shape the, the story. Yeah, you could shape yeah. the, shape it differently, but that because it's not set in advance, whereas in scripted, they know what they want from that episode. Right. Right. And you mm -hmm. have to, to help sell that story. And, um, and, and most of the time they get it. And sometimes, sometimes you see something and you get it right away and sometimes you struggle. And I, I, am, I am not too proud to turn around and tell Arthur Fournay, because I told him a couple of times, mm -hmm. uh, thank you for helping me with this scene because it was a scene I was having so much trouble, trouble with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he just told me what to do. You're like, okay, now I see it. And, yeah. and I yeah. thanked him because I, it was done. And it wasn't a shortcoming, you know. Um, no, it's just I, part the learning process. Yeah, it's a learning, and yeah, and I couldn't see it that way. And it was a film that was a, a, a scene that was shot with a little um, difficulty, you know, was wasn't shot well. Um, and um, and sometimes you don't see the way around the problem, or you see that, and, and this is something I think happened. I don't know for sure. They shot a scene with the sound was. It should have been shot that way, so it got in the way of cutting, but I think it was also a way of punishing the director who was on the set. Ooh, the drama. Yeah, yeah. The drama on the drama. Dra yeah, the drama on the drama. So, and, and other things, of course, it, the actors have sometimes little go-to um, movements. Yeah. That they, um, when they get nervous or they um, are, are like um, somebody, a director described it, uh one character has a wind up that's how he puts it. it it's so kind of like doesn't just start the line he kind of uh, revs into it and it gets old and you, and you see it right it just see you see the the pattern and, and and then we have to help them with that you know we have to help them to look the best they can and uh or like sometimes you'll think uh, uh you know I sometimes like angrier readings from women, surprise. Um, <laughs> and I get told it's too angry. I say, no, it's not. And I say, you think so? And that was, and a director said to me, he said, no, no, no. That character would not have let him get away with something the way he 
and, and I said, okay, all right, you're right. right. Okay. <laughs> but I had to do it no matter what. But, but I just didn't, I just thought it was more naturalistic. But that's kind of my, my feeling. I want to see life, you know, it unfolds. And, um, and some, you know, some actors, um, uh, you, you got to work with whatever they give you. And they could be having a bad day. And you don't have any idea what somebody said or did or how come, you know, maybe they had to wait too long or maybe the, the makeup person did something wrong and then, you know, they have to come fix it or you have no idea. We don't, we just get the footage, look at it. Yeah. And you got to make it work. And, you know, um, you, you try to, I, I did get one episode, um, a, a deliberate, I'm trying to think of the correct way to say this. It was an incident at an, uh, a street fair where a car runs into the um, people uh, in, in a Chicago neighborhood, African-American. And the question is, we don't know until um, uh, a little bit in that the guy, that it was deliberate. Oh, okay. First, okay. So we have to play it as if we don't know it was an accident. And that was a very tough episode. That was a very tough episode because we know that was a real, a real, real story, and and it's happened, um, and um, and it wasn't based on a real story, but things like this. It's been happened. happening, yeah, more and more, especially around the protest. Yes, and and the woman, uh, a, a young woman dies, and and then there's a whole bunch of stuff around that, uh, and it was and 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 the mother, how you know how much how emotionally do you play her um and that was an african-american female director unfortunately so and it was a tough show for everybody i mean it was one of it was just heart-wrenching to work on it and there was a couple of scenes and this is my compensation my producer lee always knows that if i have a tough scene and i cut it and it's either tough because it's a, a gruesome um, operation or if it's someone being cruel uh, I never look at it again when it comes on the screen I'm done put yeah. my eyes down I, I told someone once um, and it was it was in a like a high school or a college class and I you have to realize how it might your truth might fall harshly on somebody uh, and, and I didn't have any intention of doing this, but what I did tell her was, I did tell the class that if I had known how hard it was, I probably wouldn't start it in this business. And, um, and it's fortunate I didn't know. And so by the time I got into it, because the reason I thought I might like it was I, I took a class in college where I did a little home movie and it was I borrowed a friend's um movie camera uh, she had a super 8 movie camera and I just went around filming in the streets of New York and I set it to non-Latin Lillian set it to the music of Ray Barreto a song called Cinderella and um and it felt the best of anything I had ever done in my life to that point, big old 19, you know, uh, freshman year. Uh, and 
Then when I was teaching in um, public school, I did a film with another teacher with his class, 16 millimeter. By that time I had bought a 16 millimeter camera. And then I met someone, the woman I was telling you about who was a documentarian while I was uh, walking her dogs one summer with another friend, she had a lot of dogs. And she said, um, if you ever decide to leave teaching, um, uh, call me. And so when I decided that teaching wasn't for me, um, which was because at the front of the classroom one day, I looked out and realized I was never gonna be a great teacher. I'd had great teachers. I could name them. Miss Russell, Miss Pucci. Um, those are and both, that was grade school and, and high school. Great teachers who changed my life. And if I couldn't be that, why was I taking space, taking up space? So I called this woman and she helped me get in, into documentaries. But if I had known how difficult it was, I might not have done it. So I, I had about a year and a half before I kind of got the hang of it. And then I said, oh yeah, I can do this. And uh, so I just kept going. And this young woman came up to me at the end of the class and she said, uh, are you sorry now? And I said, no, I'm not sorry now. And so she said, you think you did the right thing? I said, yeah. Um, I, I did. I think I, I did. The, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And she said, oh, okay, good. But she felt like maybe I was unhappy and it had never occurred to me, but I was just telling them it was hard. It's going to be hard. It's hard. And so, but if it made me feel good. And last night, you know, uh, after I heard uh, Representative Lewis had died, we, you know, I do, um, uh, videos for my church for the virtual uh, service. And so I do the introit and I pick, that's easy to do. I pick the music and I realized uh, somebody called me and she said she had the, the um, a director of music and she said she had recorded We Shall Overcome on organ. Maybe we would want to use that. And I said, oh yes, I'll, I said, I'll do it. I'll start now. And she said, I don't mean for you to redo it. I said, no, no, no. That's the only way you can do it. So that's what I did last night. I added this organ music. I put Representative Lewis's face, a young and an old, and C.T. Vivian, a young and an old, and thanked them for their service. And then, you know, so that's gonna introduce the service tomorrow. Well, that made me feel better. And, and sometimes when you are able, you're lucky if you're able to do work that helps you feel better. And the feeling better, I think, is doing things for me, for the world, um, and, and to help people. I want to acknowledge these two great men. I wish America felt like you and I do. Um, but um, but I, would, uh, I was not going to not do that. There was no question. And I did it la last night so that the people who are prepping for the service today doing the run through would have it and substitute it and i'll just use that other one later that's what i can do i can't get out there and march in the street i can honor my now ancestors and you know when i got up yesterday morning i didn't think i had heard that ct vivian vivian had died and um 
And when I heard the um, uh, newscast, I thought, oh my God, oh my God. Because I said, uh, long time civil rights activist, da da da. And I said, oh God, please God, not John Lewis. And they said, CTV. And I said, oh, thank God. Well, that lasted for, for 12, less than 12 hours. Um, and um, because we all knew he was at the doorstep. Uh, but that was what I could do. And I think in, in, uh, in, the, in the big picture, you do what you can. And sometimes something that you think is small um, might not be small to somebody else. And in the same way with this young woman in that class, I didn't realize that that honest statement would make her feel, dis she was worried that I was discouraged. I think that's mm. what it was. And I think she was a young Latina woman. She was not an African-American. And if she, uh, if she was a very fair Latina. Um, so it didn't necessarily make sense, except it was a spirit to spirit connection. And that is for me, one of the biggest things with the work um, they don't have to look like you. Uh, a lot of my films have been about African-Americans uh, and, and many have been by African-American directors, but not all. And, um, but you don't have to look like the person to do the work, to do the work that needs to be done. Um, you have to be um, a kindred spirit. And, that's not so easy to discern. Um, but I remember, uh, and this is separate, but it's part of it. Um, when, when I realized uh, when we were working together that you had not worked anywhere else in that capacity, that's when I, want, I, needed, I felt I needed to go into and make sure I told you something about the process because people make you think you're crazy if you and if you don't know that what they're asking is out of line you can't um they they can't protect themselves uh an example of someone i worked with he was a young guy young he's young white editor somehow we're friends but um he had when he was an assistant he had a an editor who made him come and uh, get her uh, at the front, uh, at the gate and park her car. And I said, nobody told you? He said, nobody told me that she wasn't supposed to ask me to do that. And he didn't think to ask. He didn't think to ask. He didn't know to ask. And you know, if, People are in their rooms, they're doing their work. We need to look outside of ourselves and see, um, and what I call take the temperature. We're, we're in our heads and our heads are busy and our lives are complex and our lives are not easy. But, oh, please just take a step outside sometimes and see what the other person is thinking. And even if it's just to better prepare you how to deal with that person, it's a good thing. 2020 has been an incredibly devastatingly transformative year for many of us. We have seen people's true colors, and many of us have shed that which no longer serves us, those things that don't bring us joy, 
and that which repeatedly asks us to compromise our values, our people, and our communities. It was through first working with Lillian and then becoming her friend that I agreed to understand the meaning and the responsibility and integrity that comes when working in documentary. As she says, this is history in our hands. Many of us take that responsibility seriously, not only when it comes to our histories, but also to those who are depicted on screen in the present. We honor our responsibilities to the protagonists in the films we make and the projects we support. And when necessary, like the late great Congressman John Lewis, we get in the way and we make good trouble. Rennell and I want to offer much love and gratitude to all the 15 guests who have been on the show this year and all of you across the world, yes, the world, on every continent, including Antarctica, who have listened and visited our website. This podcast was birthed out of our frustration of being and seeing so many voices silenced and visibilized and uncredited. And it has become such a source of bold, incredible joy for both of us. Stay tuned for the last episodes of season one and our festival collaboration episodes called What's Up With Docs At, which will be available in January and February. And we will launch the new season in April 2021. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. Visit our website at whatsupwdocs.com. That's whatsupwdocs.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at What's Up W Docs. Again, that's What's Up W Docs. And remember, keep telling your stories. Today's program was hosted by Tony Bell and produced and edited by Renelle Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas.